Okay, so my name's Liz, as Mike said, and we have two children. Um, many of you know them, Emma and Matthew, who are 11 and 12 years old. Um, and I've been on holiday from teaching for the last few weeks, and I've been thinking about the topic we're going to be doing this morning, um, Filled with Hope. And I thought, what is the best Im image you can have in your mind for someone filled with hope? And I thought of a child on Christmas morning. How cute is that? <laughs> That's kind of what my head was like, filled with hope. Um, reminds me of a story when my kids were younger. Um, they um, ran out on Christmas morning and they saw that the carrot was eaten and the, and the cookie was half eaten, the milk was drunk, and they were so excited. They said, Mommy, 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 did Merry Christmas eat it? <laughs> um, so maybe we're not going to be filled with that kind of hope every morning of our lives, um, but I'm going to speak about a kind of hope that we can be filled with. Um, and also, as we're starting off 2020, I know many of you and us are kind of going through our diaries. We've got some hope for the year. You are writing in things that maybe you want to go to gym more often. Maybe you want to get um, closer to God, be a better parent. Uh, maybe you want to get that work-life balance, you know, that elusive, we're suddenly going to all just click together. Um, we've got some hopes, um, but kind of as you get towards the middle of the year, you've been to gym once, you know, you've shouted at your kids a lot of times, and you're realizing, falling into a bit of despair, thinking your hopes for the year may not turn out as they should. Um, when they don't work out as we planned, we can get into a bit of despair, so we that's kind of hope we're going to be looking at is a different kind of hope today that we can have no matter what the circumstances are. Um, and then when we're talking about planning for the year, common ground, the wider common ground, have also um, got some vision and some plans they've had for the past few years. Many of you may have heard um, as we've kind of spoken about it over the past few years. Um, but they want to, or we want to, common ground, all the cities and our congregation want to fill the city with the message, life, and fame of Jesus. Um, and if you get more specific over the next five years, or the last few five years, including 2020, to multiply Christ followers, congregations, compassion and justice, cultural renewal, and church strengthening. I mean, it's great to have a vision and things that, that we are planning. Um, but in order to do that, God needs to fill us personally. We need to be filled. We can't just do that out of our own accord. Um, and so to fill a city with the life message and fame of Jesus, we need to be filled with God and the Word and the Spirit. And we're going to get a bit more specific. Last week, we, um, Peter spoke about being filled with faith. This week, we're going to speak about being filled with hope. And next week, we're going to be speaking about filled with love. So we're getting more specific about what are we filled with? How can we fill others if we're not full? So it's called, this series that we're doing is called Filled to Fill. Um, so last week, this week, and next week, we'll be doing love as well. So I'm sure many of us realize that nothing is certain in this world, and we have to keep ourselves from feeling hopeless with our circumstances. So today, the big idea is live a hopeful life in an uncertain world. And we're going to look at First Peter for some scriptures, and then we're going to answer four questions um, based on those, on those scriptures. Okay, so we're going to just start off by reading First Peter 1, verse 3 to 9. So I hope you can read that small writing, but you can always open it up on your whatever Bible app or Bible you have. Um, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, 
Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer great and suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, so looking at that scripture, we're going to be answering four questions based on that. Um, Why do you need living hope? How do you get living hope? How does this living hope function in your life? And what are you putting your hope in? So those are the four questions. That's our roadmap for the morning. We're going to be answering those four questions. Um, So let's start off with question one. Why do you need living hope? I'm sure of many of us could probably think up reasons why we need living hope. Um, but the letter that Paul was writing was very early on. He started writing in, in, um, in verse 3 already, and he's saying to them that they need a living hope. Um, and why do you think it was so important that he wrote to the, um, the churches in Asia Minor? He was writing to churches in Asia Minor, and he told them so early that they need a living hope. Um, I think it's important because if you see there in verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So the people that he was writing to were suffering many kinds of trials. And he, and he knew that they were going through persecution, they were being killed for their faith, their houses were being plundered, they were going through a lot of suffering, suffering at the time. And Peter knew that there was no way to get through life unless you know how to get through Suffering, and there's no way to get through suffering unless you have a living hope. Um, Tim Keller, who a lot of this talk is based on, um, he spoke about a man named Viktor Frankl. Um, He's a Jewish psychiatrist and also a Holocaust survivor. And even though he was in the concentration camps, he still was a psychiatrist, and he was still looking at people and analyzing how they were responding to the suffering around them. Um, and he has written a book called Man's Search for Meaning, um, and where he wrote about what he experienced and what he saw in, in the camps. Um, and he found that there were four different ways that people responded to the incredible suffering trials and grief that they encountered in these death camps. Um, he wrote about the first group. He says people became brutal. They just started becoming cruel as their way to survive the suffering that was around them. And they just started trampling on people to survive. And even his friends, they started getting cruel and brutal to each other. That's the only way that they could um, cope with the suffering that they were going through. Then there was a second group of people. Um, To paraphrase, he says, many prisoners just lost all hope. And with all hope, he lost his spiritual hold. Usually this, this happened quite suddenly. Symptoms were familiar to us, to the experienced campmates. We all feared for this moment in our friends. Usually began one morning when the prisoners simply refused to get dressed or wash or go out to the parade for inspection. No entreaties, no blows, no threats had any effect. They just lay there. They'd given up hope. Nothing bothered them anymore because they just had no hope. Um, and he spoke about his block warden who actually had a dream that the war would end on the 30th of March. So as the time got closer and closer and the news was kind of not saying that it was going to end, by about the 29th of March, he started developing a temperature. 30th of March, he went unconscious and on the 31st of March, he died. And he was saying how the loss of hope actually 
let, allowed him to, um, all, the, all the diseases that he had kind of pushed off, actually he ended up getting sick and dying because he had given up hope by the 30th of March because he thought that that was, that was kind of where he was aiming for the end. So the first group of people got cruel and brutal. The second just gave up hope and didn't even want to get up um, anymore. And there was a third group of people. They, they were like, if I could survive this, I can get back all my hope. So as soon as the war is over, I'm going to go home. I'm going to have my family. I'm going to have my wealth. I'm going to have my position in society, my job. Um, I'm going to get it all back. And that was their hope. So they managed to survive. You know, they were surviving and they're surviving to get to the end. And obviously when the war ended, everything was different. They got back and they, maybe their wealth was gone. Their family was different. Their jobs were different. Society was different. Um, and because of that, and that's what they were aiming for was the end. And they got there and then they ended up with depression and some committed suicide because after liberation, they just couldn't get over their loss of the hope that they had been hoping for. So those are three groups of people. Then there was a small fourth group of people, he said, that seemed to have an inner strength that just raised above these outward circumstances. And he said they managed to remain kind. They managed to remain a bit buoyant. They said maybe not happy. It wasn't really a situation to be happy. But they were buoyant. And he was, what, he was trying to figure out what made this difference. And he said life in a concentration camp tears open your human soul and exposes its depths and its foundations. So what is the foundation? What is your foundation? And people came to him for counseling on, during the time he was there. They would say, Doctor, how can I handle all this suffering? And he would say to him, life only has meaning if we have a hope and a meaning that suffering and even death cannot destroy. He would say to his friends, remember, someone is looking down at you from heaven, a friend, a wife, a spouse, or God. We must not disappoint him. Disappoint them, yeah. Here's what he's saying. Similar to what Peter is saying in his letter, although Peter may differ on what the ultimate hope is, but they are both saying, do you know what the foundation of your personality really is? Is it what you're living for? It's what you're living for. It's your hope. It's your future. Your future hope, your ultimate hope of your heart completely determines how you handle your now. So we can see from what Frankel said is those who had no hope could not cope with the soul-crushing circumstances of the concentration camps. Um, they were looking at their past. They weren't looking at the opportunities they were offering, offered there and then. Um, they had the opportunity of psychological and spiritual transformation then and there, but they were looking at their past and they couldn't see their future hope. So, if we, and also part of that, he also spoke about how a lot of them had made them um, finite objects their hope. You know, that was their wealth, it was their family, it was their um, job. And those aren't all bad things. But if you make any of them your ultimate hope, then when that is taken away from you, or maybe it's just changed a bit, um, you end up becoming brutal, you can end up becoming hopeless, and you can end up just becoming cynical and, and disillusioned. Um, we're going to have to find a living hope, a hope that doesn't die. We're all going to face suffering in our lives, and if you can't face suffering, you can't handle life. So what, if you think about it, I'm going to be going into a bit more about it as we get, go along, but if you think about what is your ultimate hope, there's no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering, and there's no way to get through suffering unless you have a hope, a living hope. Okay, so I'm sure we all want to be people who are living a life filled with hope in an uncertain world. So let's look at the next question. How do we get this living hope? 
So before we talk about how we get this living hope, we've got to talk about what is this living hope. We want it. I'm sure all of us now, after we've heard, we all want this living hope, but how do we get it and what is it? So if we first start off by reading the scripture again, we can look for a couple of clues from there. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish, spoil, fade, and is kept in heaven for you. So from that we can see it's an inheritance. It can never perish, and it is kept. And that kept word is a very important word. It means it is utterly safe. There's nothing you can do or anyone can do to take it away from you. It is being kept for you. Um, so, so who... So from verse five, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So it's talking about the last day and it's talking about our coming salvation, but we haven't quite really got to the what yet. So let's get to the what. Um, Verse seven says, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So when Jesus comes back, when he's revealed, when we get to the end of time, what is kept for us? What is it? And it says, um, in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. So if you read that, you think we are going to praise, glory, and honor Jesus when he is revealed. That's kind of how we read it. But what it actually says, it says your faith may result, which is an odd way of putting it. Um, Your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor which actually is saying that Jesus is going to praise, glory, and honor us. We are going to get praise, glory, and honor from Jesus. And that doesn't, it doesn't really seem to make sense because why? There's no reason we should get praise, glory, and honor from Jesus. Why would we get praise, glory, and honor from him? Um, and the reason is, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he took everything we deserved, everything the human race deserves. Well, what do we deserve? We deserve punishment, condemnation, rejection. He took that all on. And so what that means is that when Jesus is revealed, we are going to get Jesus' record. He's looking at us as if we um, are his, you know, his children. And, he took, and because Jesus took our punishment, the punishment we deserved, we can get his record. We get Jesus' record. Um, so he's going to give you his delight. He's going to give you his honor. He's going to just dote on you. You're going to be enveloped in love and acclamation and applause from God. When that happens, it's going to make you perfect. It's going to utterly purify you. So that's what's happening in the end. Um, and you don't have to think, maybe if I live a good enough life, um, it might happen. No, it's kept. Jesus is keeping it for you. He's keeping it for you. He has put everything that we deserve on Jesus and we are going to get everything that Jesus deserved. It's, it's, it's not, you know, it doesn't make sense, but this is the hope that we have. Um, think about this illustration. So this is what we are hoping for. Okay, we're hoping for um, um, when Jesus comes back. So there's a, a, a story that I've, I've heard. Um, so imagine you, there are two jobs. Okay, so... Um, Two people get a job and they have to do the same job. So there's 85 hours a week of work. They don't get holidays. They don't get, um, yeah, it's a very boring job. They just have to do the same thing over and over for the whole year. And at the end of the year, one person gets told they're going to get 30,000 rand. 
And the other person gets told they're gonna get 30 million rand. <coughs> okay, and they're gonna do the same job for this whole year. One of them is gonna find it really hard work. I'm gonna wanna give up, and probably will give up, and is just gonna think it's not worth it. And the other one is going to love their job. They're gonna have a bounce in their step, they're gonna to get to work, they are gonna be just, that this year is gonna fly by, it's gonna be a breeze, they don't care about the fact there's no vacations, they know at the end they are getting 30 million rand. And why is that? It's because they have a hope. It is their future hope. That money they're going to get is their future hope. Um, and to know that we have the love and approval of the king no matter what, that it's kept for us, it's our ultimate wealth. Knowing, knowing that, just having that in your head, will change the way you look at your current situation. Um, you won't worry what others think about you. You won't be worried about your finances. You won't be worried just knowing that you have that as your ultimate thing at the end. Um, to get this new hope is to get a whole new character. You'll get a whole new identity, a whole new foundation to everything. And not only are we waiting for this future hope, we already have the approval of the king now. We already have a relationship with the king now. And he can help us through all our different trials and suffering already now. We already have all of that now. So now that we looked at what it is, it's the approval of the king, how, can, how do we get this living hope? I mean, now that we know what it is, I'm sure we already want to know how we get this living hope. So if we look at verse three, it will tell us how we're going to get it. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it says, through the resurrection. It's not through anything we've done. Um, and I realized when I was reading this that for Peter, he was writing this, um, this letter, and he was a disciple of Jesus, and he was following Jesus, and he had a hope in Jesus because he thought Jesus was his salvation. And Jesus went to the cross. And what happened to Peter when Jesus went to the cross? He denied that he knew Jesus three times. And when the um, rooster crowed, he remembered that Jesus said that he would deny him three times. And he says he went and he wept bitterly. That doesn't sound like a man full of hope. He was weeping bitterly. And when was his hope restored? It was when Jesus rose from the dead. And so when he wrote this, he was saying, your hope is in the fact that he rose from the dead. I've experienced it. And they wrote about hope. Only, the word hope only came up once before the word before Jesus' resurrection, but in the, New, in the New Testament. But in the New Testament, after Jesus' res resurrection, the word hope comes up m over 70 times because our hope is in the fact that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And it's not in anything that we do. It's kept for us, this hope. Um, it's not based on our behavior. That's the big difference that we have between the religion, with religion and gospel. Um, in religion, we say... If I give God a righteous record, so if I do everything right, then he owes me. I hope I've done enough right, but if I do all of these things, then God is going to owe me, and hopefully I'll get a reward later. But the gospel said, God is giving me this righteous record. He's giving me um, this record that Jesus deserves, so now I can just live in absolute freedom for him. So, challenge is, are you trying every day to perform um, are you, or are you resting in the knowledge that Jesus has done everything already, that we already have this living hope that is kept for us? Um, God has given us a future and a hope, so we can be people living a hopeful life in this uncertain world. Okay, so we looked at why we need this living hope, 
and how you can get this living hope. And now, now that we kind of have this idea in our heads of why we need it, um, how we can get it, um, we're going to look at how it functions. So I'm sure many of us already know, um, have already had this feeling of this living hope and already have a relationship with God. Um, but how does this actually function in our lives? How do we see it playing out in our lives? Um, so if we look at verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you have had to suffer great grief and all kinds of trials. These have come that your faith of greater worth more than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. So it says, in this you greatly rejoice, which is present tense. He is saying that they are rejoicing. And they're not just rejoicing, they are greatly rejoicing. And then he says, now, so he's still saying present tense, you are suffering grief, which seems like a paradox. They are greatly rejoicing and they are suffering, suffering grief. Um, that, doesn't see, that seems impossible for us. And the word therefore, suffer grief, uh, is actually the same word that they use when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is incredible grief. It's not just a little bit of trials they've had. They are suffering incredible grief. But he says, you greatly rejoice, present tense, and you are crying out in pain and agony, present tense. Um, he doesn't say, you have been rejoicing, but you may experience sorrow, or you are experiencing sorrow, but you may re rejoice, or you're experiencing sorrow, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. He's saying, you are filled with deep rejoicing, at the same time you are filled with real sorrow, and that, doesn't, that totally seems impossible to us. I mean, if you think about your circumstances, you think either you're having a, a trouble and you're having a hard time and you're experiencing sorrow, or you're having a good time and you're experiencing joy and, and hope. Um, it doesn't seem like you could have both. Um, you can either be in joy or you can be in sorrow. You can't, can't be greatly rejoicing while you're in sorrow. How can, how can you rejoice if all the things that give life hope have been taken away from you? Um, the reason we think this is possible is because hope, we think that hope is, our, is a circumstance. So we think our circumstances say whether we are in hope or not. We think um, joy is a circumstance. We think joy is whether we, what our circumstances are like. We think it's either because of our health or professional success or our family. We are putting hope as a circumstance. Um, and sometimes Christians actually do the opposite. Um, we, we, we feel like we, don't, we can't show our sorrow, that we just have to be in joy, joy and hope. I'm sure you've met a lot of Christians that um, say, yes, I'm having a trial, but I'm just praising God, or I'm too I'm blessed to be stressed. Um, you, you just think you've got to crush down all the trials and sorrows that you have and just put on a happy smile and just be, I'm praising Jesus. I can't have both at the same time. I have to be one or the other. Um, but in the Old Testament, it talks about Job. He says, when he got the bad news about his children, about his home and everything, he got up, he ripped his clothes, he cried out, he threw ashes in the air, fell to the ground and screamed. And the text says, in all this, Job not, sinned not. And I'm afraid your average Christian would look at someone doing that and say, come on, we have to have faith. You're supposed to, not supposed to be screaming in agony. So here's what the living hope does. It actually changes the our relation or changes the relationship between joy and sorrow. Um, so they don't relate in the same way they did before. 
Apart from the living hope, joy and sorrow eat each other up. So you either enjoy or sorrow. Either if your circumstances are terrible, you are in, not in joy. If your circumstances are fine, you're not in sorrow. But let's look at verse 7 again. It's, we read earlier. These trials have come so that your faith of greater worth more than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor. So when you put gold into the fire, what happens to it? It burns, it gets brighter, it gets refined, it gets better. Um, a living hope that means when your circumstances are terrible, when things are stripped away from you, then the sorrow actually drives you into Christ and it reaches you deeper in Christ. Um, your sorrow actually deepens and strengthens your joy because your joy is in Christ. So the more you're in sorrow, the more you are rooted and, and centered in Christ. And when the sorrow comes, it doesn't throw away the joy because your joy is not circumstantial. He uses our trials to refine us. He changes our character. We grow closer to God. In, in fact, I think most of us don't get hold of this joy unless we've had some suffering and trials. Um, think about when life is going good. Everything's fine. You're just getting on day to day. How, many, how often do you spend time with God? How close to God do you draw? You kind of get through life, you don't really need, maybe you don't feel like you need to spend as much time with God because things are going fine. But it's often the trials that we go through that draw you close to God because then you realize you need Him and you need to rely on Him. It deepens your relationship, it changes you into a better person, which in the end increases your joy. So our daily relationship with Jesus means our current hope is that He is with us during our trials. He knows what we're going through and he can use our circumstances for ours and others' good. That is our living hope. And not only that, the joy actually enables the sorrow. So what do most people do when you experience a trial or sorrow or, or um, hurt? You either run from, you run from the sorrow, you either run into anger or indifference. Um, think about it, if somebody hurts you, um, maybe it's your partner, um, maybe someone really close to you. If they hurt you, how do you respond? You normally respond back in anger. You gotta hurt them back. Or you just give up on men. Men ever, or women, I'm just giving up on them. I'm just, that's it, I'm just gonna, this is how I'm gonna deal with this hurt, I'm gonna push back in anger. Or indifference, Ugh, no, they, nothing they say can hurt me. You know, I'm, I'm fine, I don't really care about them anymore. We, we push back in indifference, that's how we deal with our, our hurt. But actually, if we have this living hope, this future hope that we are looking forward to, um, we can actually have the sorrow as well as the joy. It enables the sorrow. Um, you don't actually have to harden your heart through anger or indifferent. indifference. Your living hope gives you a joy that lets you sorrow, but instead of the sorrow actually hardening you and destroying you and making you a bitter person, the sorrow actually makes you wiser and draws you closer to God. Um, Romans 5, 3 to 4 says, Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Showing the link between suffering um, and hope. How suffering, we change who we are. We draw closer to God. It increases our joy and changes us into, um, yeah, to be more like Jesus. And last year, I saw a very real example in our family. And I always get emotional. <laughs> um, I was laughing because at home, every time I tried to say this part, I kept getting emotional. <laughs> Mike was like, 
Anyway, um, so my sister, I have a sister lives in Australia, um, and she has four kids between the ages of 11 and, and 20. And I'm sure 2019 started off as a normal year for her, with lots of hopes, as we all doing now at this time of year. And in May, um, she experienced some great sorrow. So one morning she woke up and she found my brother-in-law unconscious. Um, sorry. <laughs> and when they went to wake him up, I might read all of this, just because it's harder to say. Anyway, um, and then they rushed him to hospital and he spent 12 days in ICU and he was in hospital for two months. Um, and during that time, she, had, she was trying to do work, she had the kids, they had to go to school, she had a lot of things that she had to do, she had a lot of things she had to juggle. And obviously he, was the, he ran a business, so it's a lack of income and a lot of things that um, she was busy with and, and trying to cope with. And she was going through a time of intense suffering and you know what, she didn't pretend everything was fine. She let us know daily how she was doing and the kids were doing. And, and we could kind of watch it from a distance, watch this relationship that she had with God during this whole suffering. Um, and it was just amazing to see her relationship with God. Um, it seemed to just get deeper. She seemed to rely on him more. She would often message about what God's saying to her, what's saying to other people, how other people were bringing in hope and saying things to her, and um, she could find joy in the many times that God answered her prayers. And I know she saw some, God do some amazing things in the midst of her sorrow, and she's got a, an awesome testimony in the midst of all this um, sorrow and hardship that she had to go through. Um, her life may never be the same. Um, things have changed, she's home, but things have changed, things are different, and she's got to rely on God more and more every day. But I know from what I've seen, from all the things that she's told us, she was in sorrow, but she was also in joy because she experienced God in a way she had never experienced him before. And her life has changed because of it. So what you have when you have a living hope is a big life. You get to experience all the emotions. You don't have to run away from your emotions. The joy enables you to have sorrow. You don't run from the wisdom that comes from the sorrow. You don't run from the compassion that grows from the sorrow can soften you and make you wiser and deepen your relationship with God. Tim Keller has this quote, says, there is purpose to suffering and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. So think about the trials you're maybe facing in your life right now. I know many of us have different ways, different trials that we are facing. Are they drawing you closer to God or are they making you harder, bitter, or indifferent? Think about them. Hope, hope and pray to God that they bring them, you closer to God and not change you and make you harder and bitter. Um, it's not always e easy living a life filled with hope in an uncertain world. We're just going to get a bit more practical in the last, in the last point that I'm going to talk about is what are you putting your hope in? Um, the last verse, verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and unfold with an inexpressible, inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what do we do? We, well, how do we deal with our suffering now while we are on this earth? Do you just say, I know that one day I've got this big mansion waiting for me in heaven. I can handle anything now, I've got this mansion is that how we're going to deal with it? I don't know if it's going to help us every day. Um, but what this verse actually says is what, how we deal with it. Did you love him and you believe in him? 
And that's how we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. How did Jesus deal with his suffering? He went and died on a cross. How did he deal with it? Um, It tells us in Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him, he ran the race and endured the cross and despised the shame. What was his joy? What was he getting in the end? Uh, It couldn't have been heaven because he was already there. He couldn't be waiting to go back to, to heaven, to God. There was something put in front of him that was so great, so exciting, so valuable to him that even he was able to bear the cross. That joy that was set before him could not have been heaven. So what was his living hope? So the result of his suffering was us. Just let that sink in for a minute. We were his living hope. What that means is that the thing that gets him excited, the living hope he had, the joy he had, was the idea of being with us forever. He was so excited about us. He was so excited that he could have us in his arms. He was so excited about the day in which he could shower us with his love and delight. That was his living hope. Knowing that you are his living hope makes him your living hope. Until you have that personalized, you will not have your ultimate hope. A living hope is not our mansion in glory, It's your shepherd, your brother, your prince, your king at the end of time, arms open, ready to treasure you, ready to change you utterly forever. And that song we sang at the beginning, running to his arms, running to his arms, that is our living hope. Um, The approval you really want that you're trying to suck out of everyone else, maybe the um, wealth that you really want and the honor you really want, you're trying to get out of the world and out of everyone around you, you can find those all in Christ. Christ is your living hope. So knowing that you are his living hope will be your living hope and nothing less. Think about it. What are you putting your hope in? Are you putting your hope in your health, your family, your professional achievements, your fortune, maybe your position in society? If you are, maybe you'll end up like those other other three groups. You may end up bitter, cruel, hopeless, cynical, or disillusioned. You've got to put your hope in the one who put his hope in us. I'm actually ready to close off, so if the band wants to come up, maybe you can just stand up quickly while we close off.